This is Fear and Trembling, a podcast of Hardaway Ministries, where pastors and guests share a community together as we talk about how the gospel impacts everyday life. We gather around the microphone following the Apostle Paul's wisdom to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. All right, a voice, a right. voice from the past yes. as we start season two, you know, as producer fill-in now, you know, Zach was the OG producer, so we figured we'd start season two with his voice again, always lingering in the corner. So Zach, if you're listening. His his impact oh. never yeah. abates. <laughs> right. No, no. I'm just thrilled we got renewed for a second season because yeah, yeah, really, there were really. some questions there. I was wondering about yeah. that contract. <laughs> <laughs> right. Hey, and you all get a 100% increase. Oh, there we go. Oh, yeah. For the podcast piece. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, gentlemen, good to good to be with you this, uh, today. Uh, we we always record in this morning, so as I was going to say, in the morning, so this morning. Um, I'm Aaron. I'm pastor of Watershed. I'm Bill. I'm the pastor at Celebration. JB, campus pastor Fusion. And Darwin, the executive pastor here at Hardaway Ministries. The cat herder. <laughs> he keeps us moving. <laughs> Well, as we get uh, kicked off on season two, I'll try not to hit the microphone stand as I am always, I'm always the one saying, shh, waving hands behind the scenes, nobody can see, and then I'm just smacking it. So, all right. <laughs> what a great way to start this season. It is what it is, man. Here we are. Um, we are kicking off uh, with some books in this season that have impacted us, or maybe a different media. I don't know, you know, Ooh, to be determined, teaser. but... Uh, we're starting uh, today's conversation off on the ragamuffin gospel, uh, embracing the unconditional love of God. Uh, this is a book um, that really I that has impacted my life. Um, it was in college, uh, my sophomore year. I was. I don't even remember who gave the book to me or how. I, I think I might have just saw the. The my copy of it has this guy fallen on the ground and was like, that's kind of cool, Ragamuffin Gospel and forward by Rich Mullins. So that was the time where Rich Ooh. Mullins was still recording music. And um, and so I was like, oh, I'll pick that up. And I was sitting on the tarmac, uh, delayed three hours in the middle aisle, of middle in the middle seat in O'Hare International, airport oh boy uh, waiting mm. waiting to go to the uk and so i started a book the ragamuffin gospel and um within just even brennan manning's um i mean in the book but rich mullins forward uh he's he wrote the forward in the original copy that i think just is a testimony in the newer copies but um just as i heard him talk about what brennan had to say about grace I was drawn in. And then how Brennan starts in his forward, um, it basically just starts listing off. If you're this, this isn't the book for you. If you're like this, this isn't the book for you. I'm like, oh, wow, I'm really intrigued now. Yeah. And within pages, um, I was sobbing, you know, in the middle middle seat of a middle row, delayed <laughs> in a really hot airplane um, for hours going, is this really the God that I, I've never 
in all my years of growing up in the church and hearing, you know, who Jesus was, who the Father was, who the Holy Spirit was, um, I had never heard the gospel of grace. And it's like you can't even picture God that way. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's like all the pieces are there, but they're taking a new shape. What? What is this? Yeah. Yeah. And it's just going, wow, is this really who God is? Because yeah. if this is who God is, this is the God I'm glad I've given my life to. And it's the God that I, you know, this is going to change my story. Sure. Um, this God who's absolutely for me, no matter what I do, no matter what I say, um, no matter where I've been, um, and yeah, I mean, from that day on, you know, Brennan has been a voice that's just continued to be one that I go back to, um, to help me stay anchored in that gospel. It was interesting reading through this time. I'm like, I read the book and I'm like, yeah, he's pretty, I mean, he, he said everything he said in the book, he probably could have said in about 50 pages, <laughs> but he's just cramming home that message yeah. of, of grace. So, I mean, that's, that's really why this is sort of a recommendation from me in terms of one of those books that I will always have on my shelf. What, uh, what's been your encounter with this book? It's been around since early, what, 1990, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. How did you encounter it? Again, you, you maybe hated it. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Looking at me, this was a book. <laughs> There's a season in my life that I would call my uh, gospel renaissance, a time of real renewal. And this was part of that season, that books and experiences, but it was kind of towards the end. And so having been through these situations and read these books, we'll get to a couple of them in a future podcast, um, it was kind of consolidating this, what I believed in my head, but made it much more my experience in the context of my life. And it was that transfer. And Brennan was was just like a fire hose. (laughs) And I hadn't realized how much my heart was like a desert. Hmm. And he just kind of poured in with that. Um, Very, very helpful to see that he never changed. He was not an instrument of changing doctrine for me. But getting the doctrine that I believed kind of lived out in real ways, uh, moving into the way I parented, moving in the way I was a husband, those sorts of things, very, very helpful. Plus, okay. he he spent a lot of time in New Orleans, so we held that together. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he was from across the river in Gretna. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think for, for me, um, yeah, that message of grace and uh, – I was trying to remember if I if I read it before. Um, mm. I found the receipt <laughs> in the in the book. Well, we're glad you bought it. <laughs> it was yeah. 2006, a Borders bookstore. Anyway, I don't right know. If I can. Right. Anyway, but I was like, did I read it or did I just put it on my shelf to 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 look good? I don't. So maybe it yeah. wasn't all that memorable. I mean, it, I, I, or... I'm, I'm, I'm suspecting I didn't read it. I'm Fair suspecting enough. I didn't read it, but yeah. but there were stories in there that that I'd heard referred to at other times. I, I think his openness about his own struggle with alcoholism, yeah, and then him kind of giving this window into like an AA meeting uh, yeah. once again reminded me of um, that kind of vulnerability that uh, that does amazing things, and yet. Is hard, um, and anyway, I, I was just thinking about how we engage with one another in the, in the church. So I might be getting, but that was just some sure. of those stories that he shared, and um, I, I found I found helpful. But that message of grace, 
grace, grace. grace. Yep. I remember, I remember being a kid and, and thinking, well, I gotta, I gotta get some, th- my act together a little bit um, before I can begin, you know, really digging into this relationship. And I had this moment, it wasn't through this, but no, I, I need to, I need to come to, to Jesus anyway. So, I mean, some of those, so I, I, sure. I just got brought back to some of these experiences of my childhood, but yeah, yeah. good. Darwin, how about you? Well, so I didn't grow up in a church, so I didn't come to the book with a lot of baggage, uh, um, yeah. which, which is an interesting thing to think about in of itself. Sure. Um, but I remember Different encountering it, um, and it probably it was published in ninety, so I would have been through seminary and all that by the okay. first time that I had um, run across it. And I, I remember reading it. Um, I remember liking it. I thought his um, his understanding of of grace was really, really helpful. Um, but I feel like he only gave us one side of grace. Interesting. Okay. Mm-hmm. Say more. Only, yeah. only half. Um, so what I really wrestled with, and maybe this is because this, my, my kind of tendency to take things apart, but like God meets us in grace, but I didn't feel like he went after the transforming power of grace after sanctification. It's like God meets you in grace and leaves you there, mm. and and didn't really, you know, what is the role of when God meets you in grace? What is the role of spiritual disciplines? What is the role of the transforming work and the Spirit that's conforming us to the image of grace? Because grace just never leaves us um, as we are; it always yeah. transforms. And I felt <laughs> like, like I liked his understanding of grace, and I can see why people absolutely went after it. Oh yeah. Um, it may be my own kind of propensity that caused me to raise different questions, but I was like, "Wait, what's the, where's the transforming power? Where's sanctification fit into this idea of grace that he's um, he's exploring?" So that was my yeah. It, it, well, it's well, powerful to hear ahead. that um, we're accepted as we are, oh, yeah, but we're never yeah. left never as left we, we are. are. Right. And there's that dynamic. Uh, following and maybe on, he, maybe he maybe he said it, and I just missed it because I was. I, I don't know. No, I think. I mean, you, you're definitely right. If that's not part of the conversation, I wonder. And this leads us to our next question. Actually, yeah. I wonder if he did that intentionally. Right, that his point was not about sanctification as much as uh, here. Let me let me read this. This is from in my copy of uh, page 14. So it's early on. He said, put bluntly, the American church today accepts grace in theory, but denies it in practice. So I wonder around like that phrase around and he unpacks that even further. But I wonder if he he feels like grace was so lost that he needed to clearly define it before ever moving into the sanctification. So um, yeah, so, so part of me is like, that's an overly generalized statement. So it makes me uncomfortable just to begin with. Okay. Yeah, but um, I'd go but, with it. But <laughs> In part, yeah. but, I, but I wonder how much of that is, is he reacting to his own experience in Roman Catholicism and sure. imposing that on a broader church? Sure. So, I mean, it's just, those yeah. are the questions, that, those are the things that, that my reaction to it. Yep. Um, but it, it does seem to me that um, that in our understanding of grace, understanding that, yes, we are accepted in Christ. There's nothing more we can do to earn God's love. There's nothing else that we can do 
Um, we're not going to lose God's love in any way. But on the other hand, but then holding that with sanctification and transformation seems to be necessary for a very robust understanding of grace in the gospel. Sure. And the, and grace has that power and that yeah. energy. Yeah. That was part of the discovery for me right. that it had a power in my life. It was more than a concept. It was the, the practice that was really I mean, key I, for I do, me. I, I do, I do imp, you know, have some empathy for a statement in the sense that I think that, um, for lack of better terms, rules and legalism are much easier than grace. Sure. Because rules allow you to know who's in and who's out. We were just joking before we were getting ready to do the podcast about some of the old rules we'd heard regarding the Sabbath in our traditions. <laughs> um, you know, the, the rules were were there because then people could say, oh, you're obeying the Sabbath, you're not obeying the Sabbath, or you're living in the gray area. Um, and, and so rules and legalism are naturally attractive because they know who you know who's in and you know who's out. And, sure. And I and think that's, and I think he's trying to correct that. Yeah. yeah. And I and I think that's where the fact that it was written in the nineties, right? So when he says today, mm-hmm. um, yeah. when so yeah. many people you know, that's not two thousand twenty two, that's nineteen ninety, right. that's or whenever it was written. Yep. And for so many that I've talked to who grew up in that kind of legalistic and there was a term for people who went to church twice on Sunday, right? Like you were a twofer, you know. So oh like so there was like a there was like a higher, you know, like you were Right. You know, you went you moved twice up the on Sunday, and so if you grew up in that, and you're, and you're, you're, you know, you're, it's all the, the disciplines and all these things where where your measuring stick to hear this word from yeah. Brennan Manning and say, yeah. sure, you know, that that would be liberating and and so, absolutely. So my idea of a twofer would have been going hunting twice on Sunday right. or going fishing <laughs> twice on Sunday. <laughs> well, they were yeah. twofers, <laughs> just not November or whatever. 15, you know, so. Let me uh, let me read a little bit more of that. What's with that statement for context? Because okay. um, I think he leans into a couple other areas too beyond just the legalism. So he says, put bluntly, the American church today accepts grace in theory but denies it in practice. We say we believe that the fundamental structure of reality is grace, not works, but our lives refute our faith. By and large, the gospel of grace is neither proclaimed, understood, nor lived. Woo. He's just swinging. Yeah. Uh, too many Christians are living in the house of fear and not in the house of love. Our culture has made the word grace impossible to understand. We resonate to slogans such as, there's no free lunch. You get what you deserve. You want money? Work for it. You want love? Earn it. You want mercy? Show you deserve it. Do unto others before they do it unto you. Watch out for the welfare lines, the shiftless street people, free hot dogs at school, affluent students with federal loans. It's a con game. By all means, give others what they deserve, but not one penny more. And then he goes on to say, my editor editor at Revel told me she overheard a pastor say to a child, God loves good little boys. As I listened to sermons with their pointed emphasis on personal effort, no pain, no gain, I get the impression that a do-it-yourself spirituality is the American fashion. So now, does that? How does that impact, or how does that change? Some, you know, does it? Does that open it up a little bit more? I think for me, what that what it does is it goes. It's sort of that do-it-yourself. Sure. You know that. What I think freed me, and in, in what he's trying to press on is 
the constraints that we live in when we don't understand grace, mm-hmm. right? Of I've got to just keep working harder and harder. And how often, like in the church, we do go, here's your 10 point plan for your for becoming better. Or, you know, we've been able to celebrate some professions of faith um, in dif- our different communities. And, you know, we go, okay, you can make profession of faith when, right? And, and so there's, what's that yeah. progress? So it seems to me like he, he hits legalism, you know, and he's certainly not afraid to swing at that one, but he also seems to hit at that other sort of religion of it's really God saved you, but the rest is on you. Yeah. We're, yeah. we're saved by grace, but we bear fruit by effort. Yeah. The sanctification yeah. becomes by effort or by plan or by control or resources. As faithfulness to God, any right. God who sure. would save me by grace, oh, I need to give him everything and do everything. Yeah. So it's, it can be tricky, and he helped me unpack yeah. that. Yeah. Well, I think, yeah. and I think his word to that paradigm or that narrative is powerful, mm-hmm. but I don't think that's the only paradigm that people have been given. Okay. Um, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so No, right. So, I mean, but but it's still powerful. Sure. Right. Yep. Anyway. Well, and that's important, right? What your your point earlier of going, when he says today, it's 1990, it's 30 years later, right? Yeah. 32 years later, um, the message of grace never changes. But right. how it connects into our lives does, right? And in the different voices we face, I, I think back to, you know, in last season as we're kind of to this is sort of new season and what's the... Um, you know, seculosity really put a finger on that of, you know, some of the ways that we live a religious, a religious life and how grace, I mean, if you set that up in and against all of those other voices, sure. it'd be, it'd be a different, different story. D- different so. ways of performing. Right. Right. So, so trying to understand the currents, I think are really interesting that would have led to this. Yeah. Um, so if you think about it in a couple different ways, coming out of the late sixties and early seventies, you would have had, um, the inroads of existentialism. I know that sounds like a big term, but but, but the idea that welcome to the classroom, it, folks. Yes, yeah. <laughs> um, but the idea that 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 you have to create meaning through your experiences, right? Okay, and that um, Woods, the, Woodstock. Yeah, one of the things that really happened with, and I remember when I got the Woodstock cassette tapes, they were oh, awesome. Um, saw the movie, man. What's but, Woodstock? W- it's a. I'm that, kidding. I'm that, kidding. I'm that's kidding. on. That P- that's on PBS. It's in black and white. <laughs> that's history. Yeah, um, y'all are just jealous of the music. <laughs> Let's go on. But, but one of the interesting things with um, with existentialism that I continue to find um, intriguing is that it conflated experience and interpretation. Mm. So, Amen. Um, so that my exp- when I interpret an experience as an individual, my interpretation is equated with my experience. We can all have experiences, and when we describe those experiences, we're interpreting them. But there may be multiple interpretations to that experience. That's why we live in community, is to help us make sense yeah, of those experiences. Sort out sure. the variety. But the other thing that is, is intriguing to me, and sorry to bring up Andy Root and Charles Taylor. Um, <laughs> Dude! <laughs> is, is that and, – and I think this, 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 this helps. It's at the context that um, – so Charles Taylor and then Andy Root describes it this way, that – there's secular zero in which the world is mystical. There's spirits everywhere, and the role of religion is to control all the spirits that are behind everything. In secular one, something interesting happens, and that is that there's a distinction between um, 
the spiritual life and public life. They're, they're divided. Religion and public life are divided with each other. So that sits on top of secular zero. It doesn't replace it. It sits on top okay. of it. And then on top of that is what he calls secular two. And that is where um, the religious private divide becomes public public private divide becomes so significant that the role of religion is to get people to come. That's it, okay. just to get people to come. And when when Brenning was writing in the 1990s, and you you saw the rise of um, the seeker sensitive yeah, church, mega church, mega church, seeker sensitive church in the door. during his time, the idea was to get him in the door. And and the way that you did that is you preached the sermon, um, "Here's your best life now," um, and you you developed this tactic. And so. Part of what he's writing about is is a pretty accurate description of what was taking place in the church. Sure. Is that the preaching was how do we get people in the door? How do we the ten best things to manage your money in a godly sort of way? Um and I can go off on um all sorts of different things that programs <laughs> that were developed during that time. I was um, there. Right. Yeah, you were there. Yeah. Um but so you developed all these things to get people in the door and to keep them. Well, when you are trying to get people in the door um, and keep them, then you set rules and criteria like, yeah. are you using Ron Blue or Dave Ramsey's budgeting process? No. Well, the law sure. takes a little. Different. Then you the law should. takes a different role. Then you. Yeah, then yeah, you, then you should. Yeah, right. You know. Um, and so what he's writing about in this time in 1990, which I think is probably. Over, in general, pretty accurate, even though it's a generalized statement, is that the church was trying to get people to come, and we like to be around people who are like us, so you develop sermons and programs that attracted that. And in that environment, um, the gospel of grace kind of gets lost. Yeah. Well, and what's interesting as you're saying that is you go— whether it was the seeker-sensitive movement, whether it's the you-do-you culture that we're in now, yeah. grace is an offensive—was an offensive message in those cultures that oftentimes people, when you start preaching grace, they get really scared because they think you're saying, oh, you do you, you be you, right? right? But yet grace was never the message— of the seeker sensitive or yeah. the because grace actually goes oh but by the way if you are you you're you you got to deal with your brokenness you right. got to deal with your ragamuffin you're a ragamuffin yeah. right so yeah. Yeah. um as we're talking about that I, he's got a, a number of different things that i i at least as i went through and for our conversation today that you know i wanted grace enters into conversation with and i'd love to get your input as yeah. to how does grace relate or or converse with these ideas? So one thing that comes through the book is, um, I'm going to say self-righteousness and self-deception. We'll keep those two together. But how does grace, um, for Manning, for you, um, how does grace confront or, you know, come into conversation with self-righteousness, self-deception? For me personally, I was self-deceived about my self-righteousness. <laughs> yeah, See? Uh -huh. let, me, let me tell you, it was a battle. Self-righteousness is a hard thing to see because I was right. And somehow the feeling right, the being right, seemed to carry its own weight. And when I was right in a wrong way, yeah. a wrong manner, the 
Brennan helped me kind of take that doctrine of total depravity and really helped me see where it continued to impact my life yes. and play out. And and so it was no longer a theological concept. It was a, a reflection on my everyday life that I wasn't just trying to win arguments. I was trying to prove I was better. He, yeah, like if I could say it this way, he actually allowed me to own Heidelberg Catechism, the misery yeah, right the misery of, part. of what must I do to no, live and die in the joy of this comfort. First, to know how great my sin and misery are. Yeah, like I, I always struggled with that growing up because it was always, we're going to make sure you know how much of a knucklehead you are, right? And then we're going to make sure you can live so that you're not a knucklehead. And there's, you know, nothing to navigate that, you know. But it was like, oh, now you're actually helping me understand and know, you know, and and I don't have to deceive myself. You know, because I'm good at justifying. Oh boy. <laughs> oh boy! Justifying my behaviors, rationalizing my and and it's protective. I'm I'm trying to to do my best, and I want to present my best. Maybe I need to be more honest. So that being able to face my self righteousness, I think, drew me into more honest. I at least I hope a more honest reflection of uh, my life and impact. Yeah. Well, and I and and as you say that, that's the I mean that's the offensive word for today. You know, to recognize misery, to recognize yeah. sin, mm-hmm. um, and yeah. you know, as I just kind of continuing because that's where my mind went as um, to continue that conversation. I feel like the grace piece helps us see it, but helps us see it in the context of grace, right? And I and I know like like spiritual direction has been so helpful in that. Um, so I'm, I'm recognizing my, my idiosyncrasy, my shortcomings, my sin, but I have this, this voice of, of grace helping me discover that. So it's a context of grace and forgiveness, not shame, guilt. Um, you know, it's, it's different. It's know? a lot easier to see your sin if you're also aware that there's an answer to it, that Jesus has come not only with conviction, but with hope. Yeah, yeah. I heard it. Yeah. I heard it said, and I'm I, anyway. Instead of self esteem, we need self compassion. Um, anyway, and that was that was powerful. Yeah, here. yeah. He he yeah. wrote a great story in chapter seven: um, paste jewelry and sawdust hot dogs of um, <laughs> <laughs> the uh, of Max, and then um, Sean Murphy O'Connor, who was counselor, and Max, who was. Um, in a treatment facility um, for his for his alcoholism, but hadn't quite owned up to it. And I mean, it's I as I was listening, I was just in tears again. You know, of just how how deeply we live in deception, and the and then we don't even see the gravity of the hurt, um, the gravity of the pain. That, yeah. um, but there is a great phrase um, talking about spiritual direction. When Brennan Manning says, uh, my spiritual director once told me, Brennan, give up trying to look and sound like a saint. It'll be a lot easier on everybody. <laughs> you know. And I wonder what, what with self-righteousness and self-deception, what kind of person, you know, oh. are, do you, you know, I know we can all point out others, but as you think about yourself, like if, as I think about myself, what... What kind of person am I to others when I'm really 
deceiving myself when I'm living with my halo too tight. You know, he's got tilted halos as a title of one of the chapters. Um, You know, for me, I can, there are words that I would like to say on the podcast, but you know, my executive uh, pastor is sitting here. He's got that mute button. Everybody would know that what I'm trying to say of like, Yeah. yeah, of I'm the biggest jerk in the world. You know, like well, as you know, as one as a person who has been told that um, he's opinionated and disruptive and direct, um, which are probably fairly accurate descriptions of me. Um, oh, you, you were going to say that? <laughs> <laughs> um, who, who who enjoys who enjoys a good discussion? Who enjoys a good yeah. debate? Who actually believes that in addressing problems and issues that sometimes someone has to play um, the counterweight to it to keep okay yep. to, to, to see what's going on um, when I when I'm when when I'm at my worst as you're you're trying to describe yeah. um, in those situations I don't listen very well yeah yeah sure. I, I I don't hold my my perspectives lightly mm. um, and. And I'm not very nice in yeah. my my comments to other people, um, and and maybe you know. So as I think about that, is is you know, how do you be um, honest? How do you be um, engaging, wrestle with issues um, with humility and compassion? Sure. Um, and that's a that's a tough position to maintain. Yeah. Um, because I think especially when you're feeling the pressures of, of life, um, our tendency to be to have humility, to be able to listen and and to compassion. Um and then you have those conversations and and with other people and, and usually other people have different expectations what that's gonna look like. You know. So I can you know, so going after an issue with someone, you know, and just banging heads, I think is actually fun. And then I find out the person was offended that we banged heads. Sure. Um, after I get over my initial shock, um, like, I can't believe um, <laughs> you can all see that, but if my wife is listening, she can imagine it. Uh, um, um, you know, is, is, do I, um, do, do I have the humility to apologize, but does the other individual have the humility to accept the apology and not read ill intent into that? Sure. It, it does. It does that interesting dynamic there. Yeah, it is, and it seems very uh, much the challenge of our moment that yeah. we're having intent read into our lives and words. And I know I'm having to adjust right. not only what I say but the way I say it. Yeah. Not because truth has changed, but because I want to be attuned to what hearers are hearing. Yeah, I, I remember many years ago. This is going to be. This is going to date me. Oh Sorry. boy. Um, I was, I was, I was like a, Woodstock didn't. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Y'all are jealous of the music. I, I was, I, I was, I was doing um a presentation for um for um an experiential ed association. Okay. And I gave my presentation, and afterwards, and um, one of the people came up and said, um, "I'm really offended that you used only male pronouns." So this is early okay. sure. this transition. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. And and again, I was. Basically raised in school and everything else that the male program pronoun is essentially generic and yep, includes right. both yep. and and believe that other people interpret it as such you know so so I had this this confrontation and then a, then a couple weeks later I was at a um, a presbytery meeting 
And I was playing around, and I said, okay, I'm going to try using both pronouns. Oh, dear. And so I used <laughs> both pronouns, and then I got in trouble for that. <laughs> um, but what, one of the things that came out of that um, was that if I wanted to be heard, if my ideas had value and weight in a particular setting, then I had to frame my language differently in order to be heard. Sure. Yeah. And and that you know, and that's been a lifelong process now. Yeah. I mean, because yeah. now you yeah. don't use gender pronouns; you use plural pronouns. Right. And I'm reflecting back now on how my good my grades would have been in grammar <laughs> if I had been graded <laughs> using plural pronouns right. in elementary yeah. and middle school rather than the particular yeah. ones. I think yeah. something something we're touching on in this is you know what grace does; it changes who we are. Right. Right. Where it, it ought it, to. Right. It brings me back to Colossians three. Oh, you yes, know sir. that we we were in a series um, post Easter and Colossians. Um, and you know, it's clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, you know, humility, graciousness, you know, all these things, these are bound together in love. And, and you go without grace, I don't know how you get to that character, right. To that way of being, because self-righteousness, self-deception leads us to selfishness and we use and abuse people then. Um, so uh, another couple words for him were um, trust and honesty. How does grace allow us, you know, to give us the freedom to trust and um, the freedom to be honest? For me, I think I find it, and Brendan helped with this, that I can be honest about my brokenness and fear, but I also have space to recognize that there'll be honest issues for another person, that uh, something really does matter to them. It may not matter to me, but it really does. And I can recognize honestly their need and perspective. It it frees me to listen better. Darwin put a finger on a real thing that I think is a fruit of of grace, is that we should be able to listen better because we're secure in Christ. And and that builds honesty. And well, that's been a lifelong le- learn journey for oh, me, learning to listen better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when com- when communities can recognize that, that's when suddenly you can have vulnerability, you can have yeah. honesty. When we all yeah. recognize, hey, none of us got our a- we're all ragamuffins, right? We're right. all we're all yeah, on a journey, yeah. and we're all trying to figure this out. And so we can be honest about our struggles, and and only then can you have growth. And I yeah. mean, I mean, it's that AA model, right? I mean, yeah, it is. Um, and there's a lot of grace. In helping people get there too, oh, yeah. right? Yeah. You know that it's not some judgment of going. You're not honest enough. You're inauthentic because you're not fully authentic. You know, like what does that mean? I know, right? <laughs> like, well, that's the, that's my my sarcasm. If people can see my yeah, like bobblehead, do it. Well, I gotta. Well, I think I gotta pick something that I can share of brokenness that's still safe to share. I mean, I think yeah, right. I think it's, it's a journey, right? It's like yeah, oh, yeah. I can share this struggle from the pulpit, but I can't share that, that struggle. struggle. Right. Yeah. Um, so, so which, which is, I think, which, yeah. which I think is really interesting because I don't, I, I I wrestle because why are we so quick to share our brokenness and not the tr- transforming work of the Spirit in our lives? 
So as we talk about our brokenness, it's, it's yeah, that's the beginning of, of a narrative. It's, it's not the narrative. The narrative is, is, is appreciating um, our, our brokenness and then how is God, um, through his spirit and meeting us in grace, transforming us into a different kind of person. So I, my wife would probably, if she were here, would not say that I'm a great listener. But I'm a better listener than I was 20 years ago. Sure. Well, and that's you know, and so. What does that journey look like? And I right. think that that often we need we don't take the time to invite people into that journey and what that journey actually looks like, um, and to say God has worked in my life in these ways. Guess what? He can also work in your life. Sure. Well, and that's ways. I th- I think we we set up a almost a false dichotomy, if that's the way of saying, you know, yeah. but of going, that's why I like the word honest. Right. It, because it goes, for a long time, people set up the picture. That's one right. reason why we only share our brokenness, right? Because we set up sort of the penultimate, it, my life is only victories, you know, without yeah. any feelings. Yeah. But then if you go, my life is only the mess with no right. God, we don't see God's transformation. And right. I think it's learning to share the whole story, right. right? Of being able to be honest about the struggle, but also honest with how God's at work and and going, we're all in, I mean, to use Hardaway's own vision, right? That everyone's, we want to see everybody joining in the journey yep. of being found informed right. by and following. And that's going to be a collection of celebrations and failures. Right. And that kind of brings me next to the last category, and that's, Grace and our how does grace lead us to the ability to wonder and celebrate? Because he picks up both on on wonder and celebration in the book of going. If grace really impacts us, Christians are going to be marked. You know, this is something that's that's going to be a part of our DNA. How do you see grace? I got to stop hitting a microphone. <laughs> but the the wonderful <laughs> Bill just did. <laughs> The 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 wonder comes from seeing God do more than I could ever ask or imagine. Okay. I don't have to present or keep up the front about me and my performance. It's whoa, look at God at work. Wow. Yeah. And I think that's how I would describe that wonder or give voice to it uh in in the way I feel like I've experienced it from with um grace. Yeah. Just amazed at God. Yeah. Well, and I think I'll go back to the honest, what we just talked about with honesty and the celebration, right, is we're people who know what it means to be a ragamuffin and to be completely loved. You know, I mean, we're, it's joy. You know, if I go back to even some of our conversation around the last book on youth ministry, um, but joy is something deeper. It, certainly happiness gets connected to it, Right. Um, but there's a joy that goes, man, we've been rescued. We are loved. When my identity is as one who is loved, irregardless of where I've been, what I've done, what I, what I will do even, you know, I love JB, you brought early on, you know, Brennan struggled as an alcoholic, but an alcoholic after knowing the gospel, yeah. right? And, and somebody, he, so he, how can you be an alcoholic after knowing, you know, and it's like, well, because we still sin, because yeah. we still are dealing with humanity and our own brokenness and, right. and misplaced um, hopes and meanings and 
disordered desires and right. you know yeah, so. i think it's 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 interesting that the as you talk about this is that the grace allows or gives us permission i should say um for god to work in on his timeline in Ooh. people's lives yes yeah yeah, yeah. Grace, that'll preach. <laughs> yeah, work on his timeline rather than than us, um, or having to fix people. Yeah, yeah, you know, and and it also grace also changes the kind of questions we ask. Mm-hmm. You know, so as as we as we walk with people, as we walk with each other, um, and the question isn't whether why are you an alcoholic. The question becomes what needs are being met through your alcoholism. Sure. Yeah. Um, and can grace can grace meet that? And so when we encounter people in their brokenness, we don't have to go after the brokenness, but grace invites us to ask what needs are being met, and how are those? How could those needs be more effectively and more fully met um, and by God's grace? And believe me, it's a journey Absolutely. to understand that and to wrestle with oh, that yeah. and. Um, it's often painful because there's a lot of unlearning and learning that has to take place. But we do this as a community, yep. not as individuals. And um, we we are called to, to bear one of those burdens, rejoice with those who rejoice, to weep with those who weep. It's, it's a lot about how do we experience the transforming work of grace in our lives as a community and how do we mutually encourage and support each other. And we're all learning what it means to have all of our needs met in Christ. Right. Mm-hmm. right. Um, I, I had a conversation recently and this was, you know, one of my mentors was like, Hey, you, you, how can you reduce the amount of names in your life to an index card of opinions that matter? Right. <laughs> and, and it's, and he's like, it's not, it's not that you don't value what people have to say. Right. right? Um, but it's, how many times we give ourselves over to everyone else's opinions and ideas. And then I was like, I was like, well, what happens when we take that one more degree? What, what does it look like to live where Jesus is the only name on that index card? Yeah. You know, and it's only been the last couple of years that I've been going, you know what, what does that mean? And how does that change my relation? How does that change, you know, where my needs and and when I'm struggling, why do my need, what means are having to be met you know, right. so far? And I think I think this is where like my mind because I'm in that stage of parenting where I have a four year old and an eight year old. God and, bless like, you. But like the lesson to learn from children because it only gets harder. Well, I, I understand <laughs> that, so I'm trying. You know, but like their need when their needs are met, like there's a joy yeah. uh, and a wonder that they experience because, yeah. I mean, relatively speaking, that you know their their needs are sure. met. They're they, they're in a secure environment and. You know, I just love like watching them watch a movie, or I I love like when Emmy gets this cackle. You know, this like loud like <laughs> laugh. You know, like they experience a joy um, and and a wonder that I, I'm envious. You know, like yeah. I, like I yeah. want to recapture that as an adult. But it's truly freedom, you know. And I think it, yeah. as we kind of wrap up today's conversation, I mean, grace for me, and and if I would want to communicate something to you know those who are listening, it's, grace is freedom. It's a true freedom in Christ that that will utterly change us to the core of who we are, um, because it places us back in the space of whose we are, and 
a God who is just relentless in his pursuit of us, relentless in his hopes for us, relentless um, to bring in, you know, what you mentioned at the very beginning, Darwin, you know, of relentless in his refusal to let where we've been define us, what we've done be our reality going forward. You know, this is goodness. And Brennan speaks to that. He is, you're going to struggle with grace if you don't believe that God is good. Right? We're going to struggle with trust if we don't believe that God is good. And the reality we've got to face is God's God's good. So is we believe it, won't we? You know, how do we move in that? So um I want to just kind of wrap up our conversation because we're starting okay. season two. Um just uh with a question I intended to ask at the beginning, but I'll ask it at the end. Um <laughs> you know, this is as we've made it through a season, we've journeyed through different books, some articles, uh, and and we got to hear Zach again at the very beginning, sort of, why does this podcast exist? Um, what's this experience been like for you guys? And, um, you know, sitting around a table talking, you know, our hope to be able to just work out faith together, but also just share with those listening, hey, this is how you can, this is how we can talk to each other, with each other. This is how... Uh, you know, we don't always disagree a ton, but, you know, yeah. even when we disagree or how, right. um, yeah, what's this experience been like so far? Well, I think for me, um, just having books to read that maybe I wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't pick normally. Um, and then Book like, 13. Yeah, <laughs> and, and then have like a deadline because I mean, it's just been good for accountability because I'll start reading a book and I'll fall asleep and, you know, right. um, it's like, like this weekend I'm like. I'm reading Ragamuffin Gospel, you know, <laughs> you bet, um, which is which is which is a good. I mean, it's a good sure. discipline, and then to be able to discuss those things and to bring depth with with you know people that I I love and respect has been a, yeah. has been a benefit for me personally. Yeah, I love reading. Um, I love um, academic books. Unfortunately, for the rest <laughs> of the crew, um, but it, it's uh, it's been fun reading um, reading a wide range of of books and exploring a number of different topics. I think um, one of the things that I've appreciated over this last year is some of the books we've touched on have really dealt with um, super current issues that are very divisive. Um, but we've had the opportunity not to deal with the divisive issue or the, the storm level, but we've tried to wrestle with the currents and things that are shaping and molding yeah, yeah. Um, those conversations. And and actually, those are really like fun conversations for us together. It's good to hear other people's um, vantage points on that. Um, and I hope that it helps um, equip those and, and serve those who who might be listening um, to think more deeply about some of the issues that we're actually confronting. Sure. Yeah, it, it flows back into our preaching. You yeah. know, there, there's a relentless pace to ministry yeah. in the local church. Yeah. Um, we finished a sermon yesterday. We're six days away from the next. And <laughs> Sunday's always coming. Yeah, <laughs> it, and, and so being prepared, being focused, being, having your heart straight for that is consuming. And what this has done is have us kind of step out with that and get yeah. the, the deeper book, right. think yeah. together on things. And so I think it flows back in with a richness right. to um, even in the midst of the pace of, of so many things. Well, and I feel like it's, uh, I, I think it's built our friendship. I mean, sure. to me of going is, I, I look at all of our meeting, you know, the, yeah. as these been, 
to work together, to play together. You know, in some ways, this is sort of some of that play together. Yeah. You know, <laughs> it, where it's like, hey, you know what? We can dive in, and it's me saying reading books is playing. Is <laughs> I'm really excited. I've that come you're a long way. A book is playing together. <laughs> really? Can't say there hasn't been some good discipline. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's, and I think that's been one of my underlying hopes in this whole thing too, is helping people see. Our conversations, the way our world poses conversations draws each other away. But in in the gift of God to us is when we can actually learn to talk with one another and we're willing to give each other the benefit of the doubt. We're willing to give each other room to be who you, you know, who you are today. Um, it can deepen our relationship instead of separate the relationships and you know, I I just would love to see more of that in our in in the families, yeah. you know that sure. that that I'm connected to and in the people I'm around because this is a gift to be in relationship. Um, yeah, and to invite other people into it, to live something out. Yeah, in a way that invites other people into it. So. Well, thanks, uh, gentlemen. Thanks for everybody listening to uh, our next book. As Darwin says, you know, uh, topics that are like right there. Uh, we've got one coming, and uh, the next you, book is. You, you said it was something for me in particular. <laughs> <Was> right? Yeah, <laughs> all, all of us. All yes, of us. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and it it is entitled "Thou shalt not be a jerk." Yep, uh, let me tell it. Let me say it one more time. <laughs> Thou shalt not be a jerk: A Christian's Guide to Engaging Politics mm. uh, by Eugene Cho. Uh, folks, I. I think you're going to definitely from some from what I've read of him. If you've struggled to navigate, how do I be a Christian? How do I navigate politics? I don't like the way the world does this. I don't like how I'm getting dragged into it. I think Jesus has something different. This might be a book for you if you you know still are just interested. You know, and you may disagree with us. You may disagree with Cho. Dive in. You know, again. Um, that's, that's part of what, why this conversation exists, but, uh, hopefully that'll be a fun read. That'll be a fun conversation. Looking forward to it. So indeed with that being said, I'm Aaron and I'm Bill. I'm JB. I'm Darwin and God's peace to you all.